Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We will be talking about seed treatments in wheat on today's program. And it's kind of interesting even to to say that's going to be a topic, because I remember growing up, there just weren't very many choices. And the ones that were there, they were okay, but they weren't exciting. Well, there's, there's a lot of exciting active ingredients going into wheat seed treatments now. They're really making a difference. So we'll talk about some of them today. We'll also take your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, anything you want to start the show off with today? The Ag PhD mailbag is what I want to start with. We got a lot of questions. It's the mailbag. All right. Well, great. This uh, first one comes from a father and son over in Minnesota, Bruce and Brock, and they get they had some questions for us. First of all, they said, "What is your opinion for these uh, products that are claiming you can cut your nitrogen rates, uh, and they've got biology or other ways to bring more nitrogen in for corn this year?" Uh, we've done some testing on products like that now for a number of years, and our, our results have been a little bit mixed. We we haven't seen cutting the rates of N being a, a good recommendation. We've seen better profitability when we kept rate, rates of N up. But there's a big caveat there. How much N is in the soil? And I would say, Brian, is it a fair statement to say we were shocked how much N was left after last year? Well, Okay. So let's come back to the question. First of all, are, uh, is it possible that these products can replace nitrogen? Absolutely. There are products out there that can create some nitrogen. So that's great. The question is, how much can they replace and how much do you actually need? So the big thing that we would encourage you to do, and to Darren's point where he was going with this, is, yeah, we had a lot of carryover nitrogen. Had we not tested, we would have applied what we normally would. So if we're shooting for 240 bushel corn, we'd probably want to put out at least a couple hundred units of nitrogen. Well, some of our soils still had a couple hundred units of nitrogen. So there's no point in putting a whole bunch on. And our fear is if you try one of those products and you didn't test how much nitrogen there was, and then you get to the end of the year and you say, oh, I was able to cut my nitrogen and this product worked great. Well, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. And if next year you don't have all that carryover nitrogen, well, all of a sudden you use the same product and now you lose 20 or 30 bushels off your corn yield and you can't have that. So all we're saying is, yes, the products can work, but just make sure you know how much nitrogen is actually in the soil and know how much you really, truly need. Because, for example, a lot of people don't even figure organic matter mineralization. There's nitrogen that comes out of your organic matter every year. We usually figure 20 to 30 pounds for every 1% of organic matter. So we have some soils that are 5% organic matter. That's 100 to 150 pounds of free end. Unless you're also figuring that in, you're going to overapply nitrogen. So just be careful with what you're doing, but they can absolutely work. All right. And their second question is, uh, guys, we're doing no-till and we're doing cover crops. We have a 16-row planter with dry fertilizer on it. On our corn, we're putting all nutrients out with the planter except for nitrogen we're wondering about soybeans what have you guys found in your experience is it beneficial to band versus broadcast our npk for the soybeans and where are they placing this it just says we've got a 16 year old planter with dry fertilizer 
So that is a good question uh, uh, for you, Bruce and Brock. Right. We don't know exactly where that's putting this dry fertilizer, but uh, but have we banded well, dry fertilizer with the planter? Yeah, we used to do that in the past. Okay, okay well, let, let's be clear here. If it's in the furrow, in soybeans, it's a terrible idea. If it's a two-by-two two or like we used to do almost four-by-four, it's, it should work out pretty well. You just have to be really careful. Soybeans are super sensitive to salt, and you don't want to have a whole bunch of salt in the furrow, and all fertilizers have salt in them. So you got to be really careful, especially the drive. All right. Yeah, we, we love strip-till. That's been nice for us, doing it in the fall and, and getting it away from where that seed's going to be a little bit or spreading it out just a little bit. That works great, and, and having it in a more efficient uh place for the plants to get it like in a strip is is pretty fantastic so it can definitely be good just yeah don't put it too close to the seed all right uh got a question from caleb he said uh, i've got a question about wastewater treatment plant pellets for an alternative fertilizer we plan to experiment on about 50 acres of grazing pasture just wonder if you have any advice on these types of products and and uh, caleb had sent in a soil test and also a test of these pellets to see exactly what what's in them now i do like for the pellets we've got a pretty good analysis of micronutrients and and all the macronutrients so um, that's good the thing that i don't have and that i don't know and anytime we're getting a, a bio solid uh, if if it's from human waste, I'm nervous about antibiotics and those types of things that are in there. And there are some limits as to where you spread that, if you can graze it, or if there's a time you have to wait before you can graze it. Uh, you know, some places are uh, drying those at, at such a temperature that they they say they're killing off microbes and and other things that are in the source, but. I don't know uh, who runs tests to see if there are antibiotics and those types of things, but that's something. You're that... worried about antibiotics? I'm not worried about that at all. This is just going on the soil, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So how could there possibly be that much? I don't know. I, that, I guess that's I, my question. I don't know if there would be so or not. I'm not, not but worried I... about that at all. What I am worried about is the heavy metals. Do we have heavy metals in there? Do they have that no, on their test? They do not. Okay, so we've got to get a heavy metals test. That's number one. And number two, you just want to apply it just like you would manure or commercial fertilizer in that you have to uh, be careful how much phosphorus and how much nitrogen, how much potassium, all those things you are putting on at any one time. But we love it. Any form of manure, human or animal, can be good to test for heavy metals. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Caleb. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and today's topic will be seed treatments in wheat. We'll also take any agronomic questions you may have at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us as well, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. 
During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control and heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about seed treatments in wheat. And one of the things that you're going to find interesting here, if you look at the seed treatments that you're using in any crop, look at the active ingredient. Don't just get caught up in, oh, here's the, the trade name or the brand name for this system or, or, or this group of products. Look at the actual individual active ingredients. And one of the things that you'll find we see a lot of similarities across crops. So, for example, when we look at, at the insecticides that are used in these wheat seed treatments, we see neonicotinoids. Now, there is a new one that's out, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, uh, Taraxa, that's kind of exciting in terms of controlling wireworms. But other than that, it's been the neonics. So it's the gaucho poncho cruiser products and those are the same things we're using in many different crops so you'll see some similarities like that as we get going and uh, we'll, we'll point some of those things out on the fungicides as well uh, let's jump to the phone lines first though we've got john over in southeast minnesota john how are you doing today uh, pretty good nice sunshine for a change it's easy to take yeah yeah <laughs> you bet this time of year it's it's good because it just takes a little sun and we get snow melting so i like that a lot Puts everybody in a better mood, too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So so I don't know if I had sent some information in yesterday and your screener there thought you had maybe covered it yesterday. I might be a day, day late calling okay. in here. That's okay. I think I think uh, we did yesterday because I, I don't have it anymore. Uh, but I, I do remember the question a little bit. So maybe, maybe just restate what your question is and, and what you're thinking on it. Okay, so our situation to put in perspective here, I have more manure than I have land. So we're running up against the federal manure permit and it's, it has to do with uh, fertilizer stratification. Okay. So my question basically was, in order for us to put more on, we're going to mow board plow once to get the top 12 inches mixed up. So would we be better off? I'm thinking I need to start sampling from 0 to 12. Correct. Just as a standard sample for putting on fertilizer. 
you know, that's that's going to be something. Okay, so first of all, we, we run into this quite a bit where, where farmers say, hey, I've got more manure than I've got land to spread it on, and I want to know how I can use this safely. The biggest thing that, that we've done is just try to go deeper. And we've done some where we've run more, more horsepower with the tractor pulling, and we've gone deeper, like 20 inches deep with straight shanks, every 30 inches and that's allowed us to inject some stuff deeper i agree with you if you do some some deep tillage like moldboard plowing uh flip stuff around a little bit move a lot of that stuff in the top six inches down uh, six inches or more that's definitely going to help and when we look at the high yield farmers really since the 70s the the ones that have been most successful have been able to build that soil profile of fertility down a couple feet deep so i think it's great john i think you'd be set up for success if you could get it deeper you know the question is do you have highly erodible ground is a moldboard plow every once in a while uh, a practice that you can do sustainably uh i would need a nice spring i i'm a little nervous about that myself but we're thinking maybe throwing a cover crop on there to help things but we're usually sure you know, we're kind of across the same position you are. A lot of times the snow is flying by the time you get it out. So, Right, right. You it's know that kind of tough to get a cover crop started. We got talking about cover crop yesterday on the show, and one of the comments that got made, and this was from um, a person at University of Wisconsin, and they said one of the things with the cover crop, especially with all the dairies they've got, is they're able to use up some of that fertility with the cover crop. So they've been grazing, they've been haying, those kinds of things. So it's not just for cover. They're, they're actually using it for nutrient extraction. So that's something right. that a guy could think about. Uh, I've got a big hog producer that, that I know pretty well that, that he utilizes alfalfa for that as well. He said, man, I just put alfalfa into my rotation. So uh, I'll go a few years of alfalfa, and then I'll go back to corn and soybeans. And when I've got alfalfa there, man, am I pulling down some nutrition out of that soil. So he's able to put more hog manure out and same kind of thing. Too many acres, not enough manure to, to do it without really high yields. That's the other thing is just shooting for higher corn yields and, and soybean yields to see what you could do to use more of it up. Right. Our yields are getting up there. We averaged 240 last year, so we didn't do too bad. Awesome. 300 would be better. But. Yeah. <laughs> Especially at uh, 6 or $7 corn. That'd be wonderful. That's right. So. All right. Well, I think we're on the right track, and I appreciate you taking my call. You bet. Thanks a lot, John. Really appreciate it. Uh, set down to Nebraska. Got Stephen Magulo on with us right now uh, to talk a little bit about uh, plant pathology here and and what's going on with with wheat and what we can do to protect that a little bit. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Now, when it comes to diseases that we see in wheat, uh, I know a lot of times guys say, oh, man, I'm in a dry area. I'm not super worried about that, but I don't find that to be the case. I, I find quite a few different diseases that, that impact wheat, and, and certainly it varies depending on what part of the country you're in. How about in Nebraska? What are the ones that you're most concerned about? Yeah, so uh, here, uh, you know, in the in the fall, uh, after planting, uh, usually uh, the root and ground rot, if, if the soil is quite dry, uh, we try to get those, uh, the, the, those root and ground rots, which uh, actually result in uh, patches uh, of wheat. The, the, the establishment is not as good uh, when we have those uh, soil-borne fungi. So root uh, and ground rots are one concern that we have. And then um, uh, the other uh, 
diseases that we worry about are those that are transmitted through the seed. And the worst one that, that we have seen is called common bunt uh, or stinking smart. Uh, and then there's another one called loose smart. So those um, diseases all uh, are concerned uh, in the fall, especially after planting. When we think about these different diseases that are out there, like, like you say, if we don't deal with them one year and we save some seed, uh, the the thing can just get get blown up across our whole field. If we've got patches out in the field, that makes it challenging for farmers too because your only choice is either you treat all the seed or you don't. So when it comes to treating seed, North Dakota State had just done some work showing on an 18-year study, 8% better stands and I wonder how much of that better stand was in those spots. Like you say, it could be 100% better stand in parts of the field. So when we've got all these different wheat seed treatments that are out there, we see many of the companies putting multiple modes of action of fungicide in there. Uh, what's been your experience working with the different seed treatments? What, what have you noticed, and, and what kind of recommendations do you make for farmers? Yeah, so w- what we have seen is if seed is treated um, the establishment is really good, and uh, we have seen uh, emergence uh, increase by us, you know, under under high disease pressure uh, of those soybean uh, fungi. Uh, under high disease pressure, we have seen emergence uh, increase by up to fifty percent uh, compared to uh, seed that was not treated. So, so the seed treatments really are they help um, that good establishment uh, after planting, and then uh, um, increased uh, seedling vigor, uh, increased emergence. And uh, I I was just looking at a study that was published last year where they looked at um, uh, seed uh, treatments and the effect on yield, and there was a 4% yield increase uh, 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 in the seed treatments compared to you know the, the the non-treated, so there is a good effect, and actually, depending on the disease, um, there could be a hundred percent yield loss. And I will give an example. So I mentioned common bunt or stinking smart. It's a, a fungus that basically infects during germination, and then it grows through the plant, and you don't see it until uh, the kernels form, and then instead of a, a, a kernel. The can was just filled with the, uh, black spores that smell like uh, a dead fish. If if seed is not treated and you get common band, the chances are very high that the entire crop could be rejected by the elevator. So 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 there are quite uh, a number of risks ranging from a small uh, a percent of yield loss to a hundred percent yield loss in certain situations. And many of these problems, uh, like like your detail there, if we don't do something at seed timing, that infection happens, and even though symptoms don't show up until later, uh, it's too late to do anything about it. Talking with Stephen Wigulo with University of Nebraska. Stephen, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. 
Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest-yielding farmers, Updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about seed treatments in wheat, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to Northwest Ohio. we got Jim on with us right now with a really tough weed control question. Jim, you don't throw the easy questions at us, but uh, what have you got for us today? I... Uh... Found some burp cucumber in my corn last fall. Oof, yep. And uh, I put on some Valor XLT last fall on the corn stalks. Now, what would my plan of attack be? I plan on using Enlist soybeans. Okay, great. Well, I think you've got a good plan already in place. You, you started with the fall treatment. Uh, you got your, your Valor out there, so you got your PPO. Uh, the Valor XLT has also got some, some ALS-type chemistry in there, so uh, that's good, or SDS-type chemistry, I should say. So that, that, w- that should work really well in your geography. I like Metribuzin as a, as a pre as well in the spring. I think that 
Metribuzin has shown some pretty decent activity, uh, but just early. And a lot of times the problem with burnt cucumber, it comes up so much later. So you've got enlist in the rotation. You can use that all the way to R1. So I would save that enlist and use that at R1 if it was me. And um, boy, I think you got a good plan already started here. If you need some extra help along the way, you got other products like Cadet and Cobra that have got a little bit of activity there too. So yeah, a lot of things that way on the chemistry side. And then just from the uh, agronomic practice side, narrow rows seem to help. Higher population seems to help. Anything to close that canopy up more completely. Uh, Burr cucumber is very opportunistic. If there's any break in the canopy, it seems to find it. So that would be my thought is let's try uh, what, what row spacing are you in, Jim? 15 inch. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, that's good. That that should help. On the corner, are you 30 inch row? Yes. Okay. So in the past, have you had issues or is this kind of the first, first yeah, that field? Yeah, that field has been uh, always a little pain in the side. And I've been uh, working at it, and uh seemed like last uh, fall when I was out there shelling, there's more out there than I thought. Sure, sure. Should be. Yep, yep. It probably had a pretty good year last year. Um, yeah. I, I know we don't have that one in our geography just yet. Um you Let want me ask. Them? Nah, no, no, thanks. <laughs> that's that's uh, from everything I've read. It's supposed to be one of the ten toughest weeds to control in field crops. So we'll we'll stick with the ones we've got right now. They're already tough enough for us. Uh, the only other thing, the other question I've got is in that part of the field where you had that. Is it a low lying area? Is it an area that's that's got more no, drainage issues no. or anything like that? Okay. Yeah. No. If it's, if it's just throughout the field, just randomly, then, then yeah, I, I'd go with the chemical program and then do what you can to, to, with those narrow row beans. I like that. That should help. Okay. You got to try something, I guess. Here. You bet. You bet. Well, good luck to you, Jim. And yeah, I'd save that enlist. If it was me, I'd save that enlist for your R1 application. Uh, but if you need to do two shots of it, uh, I know we're going to do some of that on our farm this year for different weed control issues. But uh, do you can do enlist a couple of times in the crop. And that's been, boy, it's okay. been a nice product for us. All righty then. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Dave. You bet. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, let's head over to Indiana. Got Jason out with us right now. Jason, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. So uh, you got a little different concept to talk about today. Relay wheat. Talk to us about that. Have you been doing that for a while? Yeah, it's my seventh year. So I was, I was a landscaper in my twenties, twenties, and enlist enlist soybeans were coming out. So I thought I'd give it a go about seven years ago, and I've been kind of dealing with spacing and population, and it's been fun. Yeah, there there are so many different variables there. What what have you found that works? And you mentioned spacing right off the bat, and that was kind of one of my thoughts. As soon as I saw you wanted to talk relay wheat, uh, what how do you do that exactly? So the easiest way I've kind of found out your your combine is going to be on 120 inch spacing. So I I spread the wheat out to 60 inch rows, which sounds crazy, but I plant four rows consecutively. And then I leave about a 37-inch gap uh, for soybeans. I come in and plant with a little intercrop planter that I, I made in the shop. And I plant two rows of soybeans 20 inches apart. I have 40 that kind of straddle that wheat row. Okay. Interesting. 
All right. So, so what have you, what have you found the the population to to be when you're doing that space and things out? That I, I don't know. I just have so many questions in my mind that I'm thinking, okay. And and you're seven years in, so I'm sure you've made quite a few adjustments as you've gone. Yeah. So it's all about epigenetics. And uh, if you lower the population of corn, you know it'll trigger two ears. Uh, we we keep the same row population. I don't want to consume too much water. I get about 40 inches of rainfall. So I shoot for about 75, 80, 90 bushel, 60-inch wheat. And then the soybeans, about the same row population. So I'm, I'm figuring about 700,000 on the wheat, 100,000 on the soybeans. I try to plant them really uh, early. And then I don't disturb the soil. I can make a, a 240 enlist treatment over the top and kind of preserve that uh, you know, herbicide. And then they kind of canopy quicker, about three or four weeks quicker than my monocrop soybeans. And the wheat is basically pattern tile. We get a lot of rainfall, which usually hurts our summer annuals, kind of gives them resilience there. I can come in and harvest the wheat. I've worked with a company in Canada that will push that soybean down and protect it from the cutter bar. And my soybeans can be knee, top, knee tall. They'll have pods. I push them down and I open up sunlight for the soybeans. So I'm getting epigenetics from both the wheat, the edge effect, and with the soybeans, use a full season soybean. We have a lot of hog manure fertility, kind of keeps those, the vegetative kind of a little bit lower, and I really get some good soybeans. I've had over 100 bushel soybeans along with the wheat yields. Wow, that is fantastic. You know, you mentioned the hog manure in there too, and I, I just think, man, as soon as you start in introducing hog manure, you just get more growth so often. What Do you do? You find any issues with the wheat then? Is the lowering the population enough to, to thicken up those stalks, or are you still having any issues with lodging at all? Well, that's where the population comes in, in play and also the spacing. So the wheat's kind of cool to watch. Uh, what bugged me is I'm making fall applications of, of manure and waiting till corn, and I lose some of that quick nitrogen. So I can get a little bit of more uh, tillering in the fall uh, with that lower population, kind of keeps it low to the ground. And, uh, yeah, you get a nice, thick kind of carpet, but the wheat will uh, follow a uh, phi or a half a circle. The, ta- the, the center will be a little bit taller. The edges will bush out, and it's kind of neat. You'll, you'll watch the wheat do that, and then the soybeans do that. And uh, the, the big key is planting them early, and I have a full season for the soybeans to grow in a, really a, a better environment. We've had some really wet springs, and my relay beans will get through the uh, spring and summer season a lot more even and a little, lot, lot greener. Uh, of course, hog manure works, but you know uh, the roots are a lot healthier as well. Now, you mentioned you've got some acres that you're not doing this on. I, I would assume you're keeping at least some some part of the farm just to be able to compare and make sure what you're doing is working? Yes, for sure. We've I've kind of had a battle with my grandpa the last five or six years <laughs> with it. And, uh, I can year imagine. We had some rain. We had some... <laughs> but, I, you know, he'll get me uh, trouble on the weed if I'm a few bushels behind, you know, 20, 30-some years. Uh, but the soybeans, you know, we've had... 80 bushel field average relay soybeans and in the plot over 100 bushel so i see it as kind of a of a hedge for spring precipitation and i, I was up to about 300 acres of it last year I, I bought my own smaller combine so i could take the duels off and i run the wheat about five miles an hour it's it's it's, it's a fun couple days in the summer i bet so yeah, no, that's that's exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of these different concepts uh, as we get going. We've got uh, we've got good ways to manage things and and measure them and so forth. Like you mentioned, the enlist system. Uh, I would imagine the weed control has not been that big a challenge, but maybe I'm wrong. Has, has it been tough to control the weeds in the past? 
No, it's actually easier. Like I said, it, it expedites canopy closure. So I'm keeping the soil from that trigger point. You know, that trigger point happens late June, early July. The, the water hip really comes on, but we've got all that thatch and that, that expedited canopy closure. And then, and then it just kind of keeps the soil cooler throughout the summer. And uh, we kind of use that corpse, if you will, of the wheat. And uh, beans fill in is actually easier. Yeah, I, I, think I, would, so. I would think it would be too. Well, Jason, this is exciting. I, I love hearing from you. I love when you're doing that. And I bet you're keeping your grandpa young too, just forcing him to think about some more things and, and challenge <laughs> some of those old uh, long-held ideas that he's got. Hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck this spring to you as well. He'll be thrilled that I talked to you. I'll tell it. <laughs> you bet. Thanks, Jason. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and you never know what we're going to be talking about here because, hey, we take live calls and questions on the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. So it's fun talking to Jason about doing some relay cropping, getting a basically a full crop of soybeans and getting some wheat too. That's that's kind of exciting, but I think there's always different ways to do things, and it's I, I just applaud him for trying something different because it's got to be hard, especially when you're not a first-generation farmer where you've got another generation there. It sounds like his grandpa's heavily involved, and, and he's got his way of doing things, and, and hey, here's what we've been doing. It's been working. It's kind of hard to make some changes sometimes, and sometimes I'll talk to my non-farm friends, and they'll say, man, why do farmers get so set in their ways and, and don't want to change sometimes? And I said, part of it is your livelihood's at risk. And if if you look at it and you say, well, I'm just working in town at the bank. Okay, well, what if you told your boss at the bank, I'm going to do everything different uh, at my job? Are you are you very secure that you're going to keep getting that same paycheck? You know, you might, you might do something great and come up with a new idea, but you also might get fired. And that's what farmers are always concerned about is, okay, I got to try it on a small amount of acres. So you heard Jason saying, we're just doing this on some acres and, and trying to prove the concept out to make sure that it works. And totally applaud him for doing that. I think that's awesome. I got Michael on with us right now down in Kansas. Michael, uh, I, I guess, what do you see down in Kansas? You see you guys doing some experimentation. Uh, do you guys do a little bit of different stuff on a few acres every year just to learn? Yes, uh, I have uh, I have some test plots involved, uh, involving cover crops in uh, our regular uh, our regular crop rotation, which is roughly one or two years of wheat, a year of uh, grain sorghum or corn, and then a year of soybeans. And uh, whether we can fit them in or not, or whether the cover crops are going to suck up so much moisture that nothing will grow, or something in between. And I'm always wanting to try uh, different different uh, fertility schemes. Absolutely, I've uh, been an early adopter on technology in in, in my uh, in my area. So, uh, yeah, I like to try different stuff and experiment around quite a bit. Yeah, it's fine. It's pro- the only Which, problem right uh, now is some of these experiments are really expensive. <laughs> you mentioned new technologies, and sometimes they don't come very cheap. No, you really don't. You can't just try something on a few acres if it's going to cost you a $20,000 piece of equipment to, <laughs> to tack onto your planter, and then you discover yep. it doesn't work exactly, or it doesn't return. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a challenge. I find, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's just uh, hard to sort all this out, and it's getting more expensive to do so. Yeah, it is. And and then some of these things too, uh, like we were talking about wheat seed treatments today and, and guys say, man, I'd be interested in trying a new treatment, but when am I going to know if it worked or not? You might not know until harvest what kind of difference there was. And now you're a year down the road or, or several months down the road, and it's a whole year before you can really implement that change uh, going forward. So yeah, some of these things, it, it's a slow, slow turn on the information as well. Yeah, the, uh, the issue I have is my seed suppliers that I that I work with are all want me to try different uh, additives. Yeah, I have no trouble with using uh, on wheat, for instance, using a fungicide at planting. I mean, bunt, smut, things like that are easily taken care of, and I have seen disasters when that wasn't done. But what about some of these uh, so-called root stimulants, early growth stimulants? And the like, uh, 
I have trouble. I've tried some of them on small ears getting any results. And it's really hard to sort out if you're, if you're expecting a 5% yield increase, but you have a dry, you can only grow three crops. It's right. uh, pretty hard to tell whether it's 5% there or not. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I know we were talking earlier on the show about some of these different treatments that are claiming, well, if you use this, you can use less nitrogen. Or if you use this, your crop will be more efficient with nitrogen. And and that may be true. And they may be 100% right about what they're saying. But if nitrogen isn't your yield limiting factor, uh, all of a sudden, yeah, I spent money in this treatment, but nitrogen wasn't even my yield limiting factor. I was short of phosphorus first, or I was short of sulfur. Or like you say, we just didn't get any rain this year. So my yields weren't good, so I never ran out of nitrogen because I had fertilized for 70 bushel wheat and I got 50, so it didn't matter. That That is a challenge on some of these things. We we try a lot of those new um, natural and biological products and, and different uh, growth regulators and those types of things. And you're right, it takes uh, multiple years and lots of different situations to really figure out how to use them. Mm-hmm. I know one farmer who uh, used a product called Ascend and did multiple trials over several years, had a wonderful result one, on one crop and one trial, really sold, and 12 further trials, he didn't get any result at all. And it was because, as you're saying, uh, this is Kansas, we have some extreme weather, and it messes with research. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't always cooperate, that's for sure. If the whole crop winter kills, it doesn't matter what you put on it, except you could have saved your money by putting less on. Yeah, and, you know, we always go into each year being optimistic, and, and I guess that's part of the part of the game, I guess, as a farmer, that you got to always hope that things are going to turn out good, but you always plan for the worst as well. So, yeah, with the seed treatments, like you mentioned, when you, you know for sure things like bunt or smut could, could completely wipe you out, uh, it, it's just a no-brainer to at least put a basic treatment on. Uh, the question is, how far do we go? And, you know, when I look at the insecticide options out there, the neonics are pretty much the only game in town until this new Taraxa has come out for wireworms. Have you tried any of the new Taraxa yet, or have you had any issues with insects in your wheat? No, I haven't. Uh, I've, I've used uh, gaucho at times. Most of my wheat goes in behind soybeans. In my country, that means you're going in late. And going in late can limit your yield, of course, a little bit, as we all know. But it also usually means you're later than the worst of the bugs, except for the wireworms. And so, uh, yeah, a product like that could be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's one that it doesn't have a broad spectrum of control, but for wireworms, it looks really good. And so, yeah, uh, Terax, it's a product from BASF. That's that's the one new one uh, that, that on the insecticide portion anyway that, that we've been pretty excited about. I think on the fungicide side, I mean, there's so many different options now, and we're starting to see some better active ingredients go in that are, you know, some of the premium ones that we're using foliar and other crops as well. So that's kind of nice seeing more pro-line in, in seed treatments and seeing some of these new ones coming out um, oh, different different active ingredients like the the viantis treatment um, and, and others that are pretty exciting because some of them like the the old headline or the um, 
Strabillian family of chemistry, we're seeing some resistance there, but we're still using those for plant health benefits, but the, the fungicidal properties, uh, not as good as what they were a few years ago, at least on certain diseases. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's getting to be this complicated web of, we're using so many different active ingredients. And I know for, for wheat farmers, when you're used to, uh, I don't want to spend too much money because I never know what Mother Nature's gonna gonna throw me. Uh, it, it does make guys nervous that oh boy, we're putting a lot of stuff on here, but the cost is still pretty reasonable. It's especially with today's wheat price, it's it's way less than a bushel. Yeah, I recall the time, uh, my grandfather's time, when you wanted to plant wheat, they uh, went to the grain elevator and just had them load some wheat in the truck <laughs> for a seed. <laughs> yep. We've come a long way from there. Oh yeah, it's it's really changed. I know our our little granary that we had on our farm too, growing up. That's what it was. Is we'll pick a good spot out of this year's crop and we'll save that back for for next year's mm-hmm. seed. And uh, you know, in in the day, I guess we we did okay with that. But we've got a lot of lot of good options now in terms of uh, the wheat breeding that's going on, and then certainly these seed treatments that are out there too. Uh, Michael, really appreciated talking with you a little bit here. Uh, I know it's going to start warming up here and it's going to be spring again. So good luck to you and stay safe this spring. Oh, we just hope we can get some precipitation. That's uh, all. We, so, we need, thanks a lot. We need some thanks too. Thanks for the information if, too. You bet. You bet. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, we can sure use the, the rain up here as well. We'll we'll definitely send some down towards Kansas if we can. Talking about wheat seed treatments here. And, and you know, I thought one thing that Stephen Wigulo with Nebraska brought up, he said, even in the dry year, we're still concerned about things like root and crown rot in wheat, and we've got to protect that seed because it's our one shot to get some protection out there for those types of diseases. We'll talk more about that and take your calls and questions coming up after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5AC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5AC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5AC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5AC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. 
While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, got Brian back on with us now. Brian, get a question in from Jared down in Iowa, and he said, Guys, I used Veltima on my corn last year. Man, I really liked it. I had good performance. However, I went to my dealer this year, and he claims he has no supply on this product and wants me to try either Triva Pro or Delaro Complete. I thought he was blowing smoke, so I called a couple other dealers. They also have no supply. First question, what's going on with Veltima? Second question, uh, what do you think about Triva Pro or Delaro Complete? Would they be good substitutes? Okay, so uh, basically BSF has no product. Well, I shouldn't say no product. They're going to have half to three-quarters of what they had last year for many of their products. So unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's... It's going to be tough if you want Veltima. What, we, what we've been telling people to do is just make a switch for a year. No real big deal. And uh, But I would say this. All fungicides are going to end up running tight because BSF has had such a massive supply challenge, yes. And on, I, at, yeah, so I was just going to say I don't care if it's Delaro Complete or Delaro. or I mean, there are a lot, lots of other good options. All right. Thanks for the question, Jared. Uh, I got this one in from Tim in southern Minnesota. He said, guys, I'm sure you're aware by now that, that our state has increased regulation on dicamba. And unfortunately for me, I am in the southern part of the state where the regulations are the worst. I really like dicamba. It's worked great for my weed con- my weed control and the weeds that I'm trying to get on my farm. And the varieties that my dealers got in the Extend uh, have worked quite well. And I've found a couple Extend Flex varieties that I like, too. I'm wondering if I still want to use dicamba, knowing the restrictions I have, do you like it very early post? Would you rather use it with your pre? Where have you seen the best help with dicamba in the program? Okay, so you want to use it with the pre and with the post. So use it in the burn down and use it early post. Just don't use it late post. So like on our farm, I'd want to be cutting it off by June 12th anyway. And that's what the cutoff is for southern minnesota so no real big deal nothing to get that worried about 
Okay. Thanks for the question, Tim. I get this one from Bill in Illinois, and he said, this question is for Brian. He talks often about how many seed treatments he's using on his corn and soybeans. I know that includes some of the biological products or what you call naturals. Can you talk to us about how all those things work together? It seems like with all those active ingredients, it might be hard on natural biology. Okay, so yes, it's possible that you can have some negative interaction with the fungicides you're using and some of the biological. So that's where you want to talk to the company that you're working with, with the biologicals, and make sure they've tested together with the fungicides so you don't have a problem. The other big issue that we worry about is water. If you've got chlorine in the water, that's absolutely going to kill the biologicals or naturals. So you've got to treat that water. It only costs literally pennies an acre to treat the water to turn the chlorine into chloride. The product we use is called BioPrep. But anyway, it's seriously like less than five cents an acre. So it's no big deal. But do those couple of things, and then hopefully it's going to work out okay. So generally for us, it's the vast majority of the products we're putting on the seed are naturals. We only have maybe four fungicides, one insecticide, and then the rest is the biologicals or naturals. So very high percentage naturals. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Bill. This one from Rob over in Ohio, and he said, I've got lower CEC soils, and I have a base saturation that's at 4%. However, it's only 120 parts per million. I'm wondering are your recommendations for a 4% base saturation K only for the heavy soils? And what would you do if you had a lower CEC soil where low parts per million could achieve that 4%? Um, Yeah, you have to have enough pounds per acre to raise the crop. And you also want to have enough base saturation percentage so the nutrients that are in your soil are in balance. But let's say I had a 5 CEC. Okay, so a sandy soil. Would I be happy with 4% base saturation K before the year starts? No possible chance. I'd want to be close to 8 most likely for a good corn and soybean crop, and then I'm probably going to add more K during the season. All right. Thanks for the question, Rob. This from Larry down in Nebraska, and he said, I've been planting soybeans early the last couple of years, and it's added anywhere from 5 to 10 bushels per acre on my farm. I'm excited about this and look to plant more acres of my soybeans early this year. Wondering what your experience is, if you found some things that help early planted soybeans, like you often talk planting early corn and taking extra steps. And then also a side question, do you think that our crop insurance dates will change as more farmers begin to plant soybeans earlier? All right, with the second question, I absolutely think the crop insurance date will eventually change. And as far as planting soybeans early, you want to do similar things to what you do in corn. It's just you can't do as many because some of the things aren't labeled. And, for example, we like throwing a little bit of infrared fertilizer in with corn. If you're going to throw any in with soybeans, it's got to be very, very, very little. It's got to be watered down and a low-salt fertilizer. So be super careful with fertilizer anywhere at all near that seed. But other than that, I would say, You just want to start out with a good seed treatment package, something to pop that seed out of the ground fairly quickly, fungicides and insecticides to protect the plant uh, on the seed. 
And if you want to use a little bit of insecticide or a little bit of fungicide in furrow, you certainly can do that. I don't know that it's super necessary or as necessary as it is with corn, but any of those things could definitely help. And yes, there's much more of a trend to planting earlier soybeans, but I don't care what crop we're talking about, corn, soybeans, wheat, you name it, we find that early planting typically pays. All right. Thanks, Larry. Really appreciate that. Good luck to you as you try and put beans in. It seems like we're, we're getting the kind of spring where early planting and having decent soil conditions could could all work out for you. And I think that's the big thing that I see with, with early planting. If soil conditions are fit, uh, guys have a lot better luck. All right. Bob in Illinois had a question. He said, I've seen the most corn rootworms ever the last couple of years on my farm. I've been using Smart Stacks corn for years. I used to use insecticide back in the day, and I'm wondering what your strategy would be. If you have heavy corn rootworm pressure, Smart Stacks doesn't seem to be enough. Are you switching to Smart Stacks Pro? Do you think they have good hybrids? Are you adding insecticide, or do you have a different method to control the rootworms? There aren't many methods. That's basically all you've got. SmartStacks Pro, in my opinion, is the way to go. Darren, you can talk more to the hybrids, but the trait, fantastic. As far as insecticide, the dries are a little bit better than the liquids, but they cost a lot more money. But if I'm going for big-time corn yield, let's say it's, let's say it's 250 plus, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to put the box system on the planter, and I am going to use a dry insecticide that costs 20 to 25 dollars an acre on top of that you could also what do what we call bug bombing later in the season and spray the adult corn rootworm beetles when they when they hatch right around tassel time all right thanks for the question bob oh uh and as far as the smart stack pro hybrids go uh we are seeing more hybrid availability now with smart stacks pro this year so it'll be a first year launch so like anything we always say on new things uh walk before you run i, I get it you may have a lot of rootworms and, and you might be nervous about this but make sure the agronomics are there and the the hybrids that you're picking up that you don't take a step back that way uh, last question, this one from Jerry. He said, uh, guys, I hear that Lorsman now is totally unavailable and banned. Uh, it seems like all the other choices my dealer has are pyrethroids. Are you seeing more modes of action being developed? Are there other products out there besides just pyrethroids? Sorry, I missed that. Say that one more time. Uh, Jerry said he used to use Lorsman, but now he can't get it. He oh, said yeah. everything his dealers have is pyrethroids. Just wondering, are there other yep. modes of action and, and what that pipeline sure. looks like? There are, but the problem is they're all way more expensive and many don't work as well. A lot of people have been talking about that Methoate, for example. That's been out for 50 years. You can use it if you want to, but it's not as good as Lorsman. Yeah, there, there are other choices out there, Jerry, so uh, so just check around just a little bit. And you're right, now that uh, companies have been focusing on developing new modes of action, there, there are a few different products that are out there, and there are more things coming down the pipeline. So I, I do think there are choices for you this year. Like Brian said, they may just cost a few extra dollars. Hey, thank you for the questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.